0: Turn with me, if you would, to Second Thessalonians, chapter 5. Now, I'm going to forget when it gets time to quit that you want need to do your announcements yet. So if I tell you to stand, you just, you just let me know that, hey, we got to do announcements yet and Jimmy needs to come up here. So um, I'm pretty, I get locked in my routine sometimes. <laughs> None of you ever have that problem, I'm sure. I do want to say, um, with this being our, the last official service for Larry and Dana and the children, how much I've appreciated being their pastor. Um, when we came, um, they we were facing our first holiday so many far uh, miles away from home, uh, Labor Day, and uh, they invited us over. And I think they had a birthday party and different things that were going on that day, and um, they included us, and and that meant a lot to us, as uh, we still hadn't gotten ourselves settled here. As we, uh, we still have boxes that are unpacked, believe it or not. By this point, we should just throw it all away. If we haven't used it in two years, we're not going to use it. And <laughs> that with that condo lady or whatever her name says, anyhow. Um, but really appreciated. It's almost two years with uh, Larry and Dana being here, pastoring them, the children, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss my cornhole partner. Um, we almost won. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be missing her a lot uh, whenever we're playing cornhole. So uh, someone's gonna have to step up and be my partner and you know carry the load. And uh, we're certainly gonna miss Larry and Dana. Uh, and I know they'll, they'll be here uh, from time to time, and I thank God for that, and uh, I hope that it's very, very often. Second Thessalonians, did I say chapter 5? It's chapter 3. There's only three chapters in Second Thessalonians. <laughs> <laughs> Brother, I think we may should, should do uh, announcements now and just go home. I'm already in really bad shape when I, <laughs> chapter 5, I, I. ay these are the lost words of Paul. (laughs) I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Someone was telling me a story about a, a person that got, they couldn't laugh at themselves, they got all upset about something and I said, if you can't laugh at yourself, there's not very much to laugh at. I mean, I'm with myself often, and uh, I do a lot of funny things. Might be dumb things, but they're funny anyways. <laughs> and uh, I'm thankful that God gives us a sense of humor. Glad we don't have to be perfect in all, in all ways, because if that was a requirement, all of us would fall short. But uh, I'm glad that he can make it uh, give us perfect hearts. Amen. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Not an understatement. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And We have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience waiting for Christ. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but... "...wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example to you, to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies." Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace himself. Give you peace, always, by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul, with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We started this, oh, a few weeks ago, on living out our faith. Living out our faith. Father, I, I come to you one more time, needing your help, needing your strength. Needing your wisdom, I ask that you would help us to rightly divide the word of truth. Help us, Lord, to walk circumspectly. Help us to be, walk faithfully. May we be an encouragement and not a discouragement. In your precious name, we pray. Amen. May be seated. How do we live out the faith? You know, there's a lot of discussion and a lot of argument over that in Christian circles. In fact, we spend probably 90% of our discussions when we talk about spiritual things on this very topic. Do we have to or don't we have to? And it seems, it just amazes me, I guess, as I think about it, how often these practical matters, these things of just, does a Christian do this? And how much energy that takes up from us. And we've had denominational splits over things as serious as the number of eyelets you can have in your shoe. That's real important because we're going to walk and follow Jesus. And you know Jesus only had three of them. He didn't have four. Uh Uh-uh. We've had people split over how to spell Emmanuel, whether it was with an E or an I. Because this is important if we're going to get to heaven. We all got to spell Emmanuel the right way. Interestingly enough, King James spells it differently in different places. Even old King James couldn't get his act together, get it right. This is a major part of our, of our faith journey, is how we live this out. And I'm kind of making fun of it a little bit because, I, because there's been some of it that's just silly. And we need to recognize when what we're arguing over is silly. There's some things that just don't matter. And there's some things that matter so greatly and so important that if you get it wrong, it can deter you in the place that you're going to spend eternity We've got churches now that say that the faith walk, this life journey, doesn't even matter. All you have to do is pray, ask God to forgive you. You're going to sin. In fact, back Gloria last week, wasn't that wonderful? I can't, he, this is what he said, I can't even go a minute without being selfish. I was like, Really? I don't want to be critical and I don't want to be judgmental, but brother, there's help for you if that's the way it is. I I mean, you've never had an altruistic moment in your life? Seriously? Again, I don't want to be judgmental, but I don't believe that's the way God intended for His children to walk in this life. Just don't believe that's His intention. And I'll be honest with you, there's some things that, that are important to me and there's things that I, that I require of my children and uh, ha- require of my household that if you cornered me on it and said, show me in the Bible, I'd probably have a hard time defending it. There's some reasons why I, uh, I have a reason for everything that I do, whether it's a good reason or not, it just depends on whether you agree with me or not. Isn't that the way it usually works? If you agree with me, oh, that's good. That's real good. I like that. If you disagree with me? Wow, that's a really lame argument. <laughs> we have those. There's. This scripture talks about traditions, and he's not talking about traditions just to. And, and this scares me. And we. We've, we've gotten to the idea that, that something that we've always done is the way we should always do it, and if it's new, we shouldn't do it. And I can't understand that. I really don't understand where, how we even got there as a church. There are seasons when the church needs to take a stand against something that is dangerous for that time period, and a time period for that has changed, and we need to make a ch- and we need to recognize that. And there's certain things that, are, that would be permissible and, and okay, but the culture has changed and now it's made it look where, that, where it's ugly now. And maybe we better not do that because it might associate us with some things that we wouldn't want to be associated with. There's times and seasons that, that the church, in order to be unspotted, in and, and order to be careful, and, and to, as Paul is speaking here, keeping themselves from evil, there's, the, there's certain things that the day demands of us to be different than what our forefathers were. But we've gotten this idea, we've gotten trapped into this idea that walking in this faith walk is, is about you know, following these, these traditions and these, these methods that, that came to us from the past. Some time ago, I was, for the New York Pilgrims, they have a, what they call a Sunday school promotional secretary, which is a big mouth word for saying a whole lot of nothing. Nothing. <laughs> My job was to keep records of all, all the church uh, Sunday school secretaries would send their information to me monthly, and I would compile that and publish at the end of the year whether our Sunday schools were going up or whether they were going down. And that was all it was. But the other thing was, is every other year I had to go and do these, uh, go to each of the districts and, and give a speech or, or a preach or do something to help the Sunday schools. And uh, fortunately, I didn't hold the position long enough where I only had to do it once. But I started doing some research on Sunday school. You know, Sunday school is very, very young. It's only the 1700s. It's like, really? Sunday school is young? And do you know what Sunday school was? All Sunday school was is that a man in England saw children that were working in factories Monday through Friday, didn't have anywhere to go to school, he saw these kids getting into fights and getting in trouble and, and you know, they were dirty and whatever. And, and so he decided that he wanted the church to pay for their education. And they came to school on Sunday and they paid the teacher on the Lord's Day to educate them so that those kids would get a, a, some reading and some writing and some arithmetic. That's the birth of Sunday school. Man, that got some of you nervous, doesn't it? Paid the teachers on the Lord's Day? Exactly what they did. They paid them for Sunday work. As qualified teachers, because these kids were working Monday through Friday in the factories, and these kids, if they were going to survive... That's all they could do. And this, and this man had a heart for these children and said, these children need an education, so this is not the life that they have to live for the rest of their lives. I want something better for them. And he created Sunday School, which had nothing to do with religious instruction, by the way. There might have been a little bit split, you know, scattered in here and thither, but, but to be honest with you, they had one day to do five days worth of work. And they were trying to get these kids some basic education so that they could be lifted up out of poverty. And that's the history of Sunday school. Pretty soon the government got their nose into things because they realized, you know, hey, this is a good thing. They passed laws, child labor laws, to keep kids out out of the factories and passed laws to get education to be paid for. And then Sunday school didn't have a purpose anymore, so they switched it to moral instruction. And that's how we have our modern-day Sunday school. That's an interesting history, I think. I can almost guarantee you, if I were to stand up here today and say, I want to pay someone to do something for the children of this community on Sunday, some of you would stone me if you could. You might be rethinking about the recent election. What I'm trying to help us understand is Sunday school was a new thing to meet a need of the day. And it had a purpose and it had value. Was it right for the teacher to be paid on Sunday for the work she was doing or he was doing? I guess you can quibble over it, but the way that the founder of Sunday school felt about it is that they were doing the Lord's work on Sunday, and they had a right to be paid because they were doing God's work, and that was his justification for it. You can take it or leave it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't apply to us today and such. But what I'm trying to help us to understand is that if we're going to walk this way of faith as Paul is laying out for us, we've got to quit getting stuck in these ruts of, this is what we always do. This is what we know. If we do what we know and we do what we've always done, we always get the same results we've always gotten. And here's my concern. As we're stuck 50, 60 years ago methods, and they're not working today, and our churches keep getting smaller and smaller, and anybody who tries something other than what they always done, we criticize them, and we, and we throw stones at them, and we say they must be liberal. And that's not what Paul's talking about here when he's talking about a faith journey. What are we supposed to do? The first thing he told us to do, and we talked about it last time, was was pray for those that were on the front lines, those that were trying to do something for God. But then he goes on and he says, listen, you're going to have to walk in obedience. And it's not obedience... Man, it's Mother's Day and I'm going to do this to us. It's not the obedience to the ideas of our parents or our grandparents, it's obedience to the Word of God. And I thank God for those that found a path and, and blazed a trail for us. I thank God for those that didn't know any better and were just trying to do the best they could. Tomorrow night, the high school's going to to do a, a, a program, a play or, or whatever they call it on, on Martin Luther. And Martin Luther has made tons of mistakes and I can criticize him and I can, I can run him down. But there was a man who didn't know any better. All he knew is that the, everything he had been handed down from his forefathers was wrong when he looked at Scripture. There was a time when when there was a particular rule, I won't tell you what it is, because some of you would skin me alive if you, if you knew. But there was a time that I held a certain belief that some of you all hold. It was a belief that my father believed in. Something I held on to. And I remember the day that when I was in Bible college, and one of the preachers challenged me on it and said, you need to go look up the scriptures on that. You need to determine whether that's right or not. I said, okay, I appreciate that. That's what we ought to be able to say to someone who, who if we disagree with them, look at the scriptures. I looked at the scriptures and I said, I'm wrong. What I've been taught, what my church taught, my home church taught this. I, I mean, almost every person, that I, holiness person I knew up until I went to college believed this. They told me this was the way to live. And the scriptures, I looked at the scriptures and it wasn't there. And I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. Do I walk in the truth of God's word and obedience to God's word? Or do I walk in conformity to what I've been raised and to what other holiness people expect of me? I was 19, 20 years old. I wasn't smart enough to make those decisions. I don't think I'm smart enough now to make those decisions. But what happened? What did I do? I did what Paul said. He said that I was supposed to be obedient to the word of God. And I finally made the decision. I said, I'm going to mind God Regardless of what other people say about me, whatever doors it might close to me in my ministry, what people might think about me, I'm going to do it. And do you know what? There have been people that I that I'm very close to and people that I love who've criticized me for the stand I've taken. And I'll say to them over and over, search the word. That's what I did. Search the word. It's not the only time I can give you many examples. Many examples of, of t- things that I'd been taught, things that I thought were right, and I would get them to into the Word of God, and God would show me different. Folks, we don't need rules just for the sake of having rules. We are supposed to follow the Word of God. And you know, we can criticize the, the, what we call the liberal churches and the mainline groups because they've read into the Scriptures and they make it say what they want it to say. But folks, we can do that on the conservative side too. We can do that same exact thing over here. We can read into it and we can add to it. And and folks, the scripture gives the same consequence to those that add to God's word as to those that take away from it. And we better not sit on moral high horses believing that somehow that God's going to favor us because we've added to God's Word and they've taken away from it. Because God's, God's consequence is the same. And that makes me nervous tonight. Because God said that I'm supposed to walk in obedience, follow the Word of God, I'm supposed to love people. I mean, love God. And I start looking at the things that God doth require of me. And I start realizing we've gotten our eyes not on Jesus, but we got our eyes on each other. And do you know what happens? I'm going to pick on Dean a little bit here. I haven't picked on you in months, brother. I look at Dean and, and maybe Dean's not not living just as straight as me, you know, just as careful as me, and I, I don't believe that necessarily, Dean. I don't want you to think that I'm picking on him. I can look at him, and you know what I'll say? He's going liberal. And I can go over here and I'll pick on Brother Gary. hope you don't mind. I can say, you know, Brother Gary, he's got some things in his life that that I don't see in Scripture. He's got some things that he's you know what. He's just, he's just radical. He's legalistic. But praise the Lord, I'm in the middle. Do you know I've never met someone who didn't think they were in the middle? I have yet to find anybody who said, I'm legalistic and I'm proud of it. I've never met anybody like that, and I've never heard, I've, I mean, folks, I'm just going to be honest with you, I go to school with people who believe in abortion and gay marriage and all these things, and none of them say, praise the Lord, I'm liberal for Jesus, and they might say liberal politically, but they're not, they're not bragging, they're all in the middle, they're right where God wants them to be. Here's the thing, if we compare ourselves among ourselves, we are destined for failure morally. I can't use Dean, and I can't use Brother Gary, I can't use either one of them as my guidepost. Yes, Paul said, follow me as I followed Christ. And thank God for godly people that show us the way. And just like that preacher who said to me, look into the Word, I I don't think you're right on this issue. Thank God for those great mothers in Israel and fathers in Israel that were an example to us. But folks, they can't be the, the measurement by which we decide whether we're in line with God's Word or not. They should be, as Paul said, to provoke us to good works. But they're not the standard. God, Paul said that his word, we're, that we're supposed to be obedient to this book. And we can love our, our disciplines, and, and, and I don't have anything wrong with disciplines. We need disciplines. We need those books to help us to know how, what, the standard for, for uh, leadership and the standard that's required for, for membership. I understand that. But folks, whether we get to heaven or not, it's going to be by this book. This book. And the discipline can give us guidelines, but you know you can follow every rule in that book. You can do everything that discipline says and miss it. But this book, if you follow this book, and every principle found in this book, you'll get to heaven. I assure you, you will. Paul says that we're supposed to we're supposed to obey the word of God, and we're supposed to walk in love, loving God and loving each other. Oh, that God would help us to love each other and love God as we ought to. Then Paul tells us, he says, "Now he says there's going to be some. There's going to be some that aren't going to do that. There's going to be some in your church that are just not going to behave that way. They're supposed to." And that's hard. You know, because we want, we want to have room for everybody. You know, if, if Dean's not walking in all the light that I think he ought to, I still want room for him so that God can help give him the light. And if Brother Gary's walking in, I don't know what he thinks he's doing, but man, that, that legalistic stuff, but I want God to bring him out of it in the light too. I need to have room for him. Because Lord knows that I don't have it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out. God's showing me things. And sometimes I shake my head and say, Lord, I don't know why you can make the world in seven days, six days really, seventh day rest. Man, you've been working on me a whole lot longer than that. I'm more stubborn than the dirt. That ought to encourage somebody on a Sunday night. (laughs) I think all of us would have to say we're more stubborn than dirt. Six days. God can create sun, moon, stars, earth, water, oceans, all the animals. Man, we've been serving the Lord a couple decades now. Ugh, I hate to like saying that. And... You know, when God was done saying, speaking, He would say He would get done creating. He'd say, "It's good." And I don't know if the Lord is able to say quite say that yet. He says, "Man, it's better." Maybe. <laughs> I hope He can say that. It's better. <laughs> do you know? There's going to be some people just going to take advantage, and there's going to be people that are just not going to do right. And how are we supposed to treat them? You know this is an issue, and there's some people that take the take the uh, the mode. Well, we're just we're just gonna throw them all out of the church. You're gonna measure up, and and uh, as you walk through the door, ladies, we're gonna have measurements for your skirts, and we're gonna uh, and we're gonna make sure you line up, and uh, we're gonna and if you don't measure up, you you can just ship out. There's churches like that. And there's other churches that say, come as you are. You don't have to follow any rules. And I kind of understand what they mean. I, I pretty much will let anybody in here so long as it's not terrible, I suppose. Especially if it's the first or second time they've come. I pretty much come as you are. But there comes a point when you need to say, we do have a little bit of a standard here. But then there's, there's churches that, and I'll just be honest, I think this is the vast majority of, of a, a lot of places. We see it, we're bothered by it, but nobody has the courage to deal with it. We're living in a different day, preacher. They can just go down the church, down the road, Yeah, they can. Yes, they can. But you know, I'm concerned that we are more bothered by the idea of losing a family or a person or losing their contributions to the church than we are about them losing their souls. We've gotten to the place that we just don't want to upset the apple cart. And nobody's saying anything to anybody unless it's absolutely forced to or unless they ask to be a member and then we'll upset the apple cart. And folks, I'll be honest, there's some times it isn't worth upsetting the apple cart. There's some things you just have to let it go. There's some situations I've looked at it and I said, you know what? There's no, there's no benefit to addressing this issue. It's not going to help anybody. It's not hurting our reputation in the community. It's not, hurting, it's not hurting anybody. I know I don't agree with it, but I'm just going to let it go because it'll do more harm than good. I don't think that's a lack of courage. I think there's a little bit of wisdom that's necessary sometimes. But... Paul's addressing people who know better. They know better. They're taking advantage of the church. Well, the Lord's coming back. I'm going to take it easy. Uh, you know, I was hoping to get retirement, but uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not old enough for retirement. And the Lord's coming back before then, so I'm going to enjoy it now. And I'm just going to live off the people who are still working in the church. And if that's not bad enough. They're busybodies now, because if you don't have enough to do, you're going to flap your gums. I just, I just don't want to be critical here, I, but let's just be honest. When you don't have enough work to do, you just go and you talk. Now, I like to talk. I really do. And, I, and, 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 you know, you want to get a cup of coffee and talk. I, I, t- I tell you what, that's my one of my favorite things of pastoring. My favorite is people getting saved and sanctified. Second favorite is baby dedications. And then getting coffee with people is right up, right. I think, right there. Just really enjoy those parts of, of pastoring. If you can't tell, I'm trying to sell it. So, that, you know, maybe Jimmy will answer the call. I don't know, but... <laughs> But you know, it's one thing to have a good conversation, a wholesome conversation. It's another thing to start talking about people. And that good, wholesome conversation you're having can suddenly, in a moment's notice, and sometimes you didn't even know, see it coming. All of a sudden, instead of talking uh, uh, wholesome things and, and helpful things or or even humorous things, suddenly suddenly, we've got somebody skewered. And these busybodies, these, these people who could be working, now I'm not talking about people who, are, who should be retired, or I'm not talking about disabled people, I'm talking about those who are able-bodied and could work and should be working, I'm not talking about stay-at-home moms, Alright, I, I want to be clear. I'm talking about people who are sitting on their hands when they could be doing something for Jesus. And they sh- could be doing something out uh, for our, the community. Holding a job and providing for their families. I'm talking about those folk. They started running their mouths. And not only are they a financial drain on the church, but now they've become a spiritual drain, an emotional drain on the church. And now we've got a problem. And Paul says, "Listen. Cut him off financially. Tell him this is your last handout. You go get a job and you eat your own bread. Stop coming to my table for bread. Because you need to get you need to go to work. You've got two hands. Good mind, strong back. You need to go to work. The words that you're saying are not appropriate. You're hurting people, talking about people behind their back. Folks, this is this is just as this is just as biblical as when we're talking about walking in the light. But you know, it makes it gets us awful quiet because you know what? Most of us have a problem controlling our tongue when it's a, when we're when we're talking about talking about other people. If there's ever been a thing that has plagued our holiness churches, if there's ever been a thing that we've testified over top of, it's talking about other people being busybodies. I encourage you at camp this year, maybe I shouldn't encourage this, just sit and be quiet and listen to the conversation. See how quickly it turns to talking about somebody who isn't there. And I'm not talking about in a positive light. I find myself suddenly getting quiet in conversations. Maybe it's because I don't have the courage to just tell them that they're being a busybody. But it happens a lot. Not a service to go to, sitting around the table drinking the coffee, and suddenly we got to talk about, man, that, that last speaker, he was really off target, wasn't he? Did you see sister so and so? She's really let herself go. Did you see so and so? Their children aren't taking the way, are they? Man, I just I see their kids at camp and and wow, I'm just so disappointed. And, and I mean, we're just, what are we doing? We're just starting to, we're just starting to tear down people who aren't there. We're not lifting people up. You know what Paul would say to you? He'd say Go find the camp supervisor. Go find somebody and ask them if you can have a job. Ask them if you can paint something. Ask them if you can pick up trash, fix something. I don't know. Do something because it's better to do and work with your hands than it is to run people down with our lips. And it's so easy to do. so easy to do. What am I talking about? I'm talking about what Paul is talking about, about practical living of our holiness faith. Are we going to be people of love and obedience to this book? Are we going to be people who are known for running people down with our lips? There's some people I don't talk to very much because whenever I'm around them, they're running other people down and I'm afraid of what they're saying about me when I'm not around. If you, can talk, if you can talk about others to me, you can talk about me to others. You know, we're awful worried about judging in this day and age. If, any, if there's any sin of this day that it, we can't have is judging. And yet, Paul says, you mark these people. They're disorderly in the church. They're hurting the church. They're, do, they're doing harm. to, to the, You mark them and you... And you say, I'm sorry, we can't have this. He says, you don't treat him like an enemy. The Amish has got this wrong. They treat him as an enemy. He says, you can treat him as a friend. Sorry, I can't be a part of this. We're finishing up First and Second Thessalonians. And as I think of these last several months, Paul has given us some real practical ways to live. He's talking, especially I'm thinking of 2 Thessalonians, about the end times. And he says, when you think about the end times, don't be troubled. God's got it in control. He says, when you think about your leaders, pray for them because you don't know what they're going through. And those that are on the front lines, those Sunday school teachers, and those that are, are witnessing and trying, our, our, our teachers and staff at, at the school, pray for them, because they're on the front lines, our missionaries. Pray for them, because not everyone is of the faith. Walk in obedience to the Word of God. And help a brother who's fallen to recognize he's fallen. You know, I think the worst thing that would ever happen, I think the worst thing that could happen is I'd get to heaven, or get to the judgment, I'm sorry, I get to judgment, and find out that I missed it, and you knew that I was missing it, and you didn't help me. You'd call me friend, but you'd let me miss it. And you know, I know it's difficult. I know it's, uh, it's hard because we're we're because of our friendship, we don't want to lose our friendship. Folks, sometimes it's why I preach straighter than what I like to, and I don't like preaching as straight as I have tonight. But, but I don't want you to get to the judgment and for you to say you, you saw I was missing it, and you didn't warn me. You didn't tell me. We better be careful when we throw, accuse someone of judging because it could be that they're really loving us. It could be that they really love us and we need to hear what they have to say. Are they in treating us as an enemy or are they in treating us as a friend? I think that's, the, I think that's really the standard that we should ask when someone's speaking to us. If they're treating us as an enemy, yes, it's judgmental. They might be right, if they're treating us as a friend, it would be good to hear. Amen. Father, help us to make it. Help us to make it. Lord, there's many perils along the way. There's lots of ideas, lots of opinions, a lot of things that would cloud our judgment, things that would cloud our understanding of your word. I just ask you to help us to make it. Help us to have the courage to speak up when we need to. Help us to have the wisdom to be quiet when we need to. But most of all, help us to make it. For your word, your word is the is the key as we walk in obedience of it, as we listen to the voice of God. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be careful. But most of all, help us to make it. We ask that it sings in your precious name. Amen. Jimmy, I think, has some words to say.